0: I like the word promise because it carries a lot. And I believe that for salespeople and for customers, there's a lot of connotations with the word promise versus commitment. It's the reason we call our methodology promise selling, but I would be careful with it.
1: This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing.
2: If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman.
1: And I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios.
2: Welcome back to another episode of Reveal. Danny Wasserman here. I want to tell you what's happening in this week's episode. We're bringing the one. We're bringing the only, McDreamy himself, Andrew Sykes. Yes, he is the CEO of Habits at Work, which is an experiential sales training company and really, What they are famous for, what they've cornered the market on, is their customer-centered methodology, which they call promise selling. And Andrew, in addition to being eloquent, articulate, so poised as an order, is an inspiration in how sales professionals can help him in this mission to make sales the most, you ready for this, trustworthy profession on the planet. Trustworthy being that operative term. There's so many takeaways from what Andrew had to share in this episode. When you think about sales, there's a stigma that follows that profession. Salespeople are slimy. They shouldn't be trusted. They're charlatans. They have ulterior motives. Don't trust them any further than you can throw them. All of the above. So Andrew, in his crusade to make sales the most trustworthy profession out there, what is he trying to do? He's thinking about how sellers need to make and keep promises both big and and small promises. What Andrew talks about in cultivating that trust is there's a three-part formula to doing this well. That involves sincerity, competency, and reliability. And if you are able to thread that needle, harmonize those three pillars of their formula, well, then you can ascend into being a trustworthy, not just seller, but person at large. Friends, compatriots, compadres, it is another episode of Reveal, joined by the one, the only, co-host, Karina Owens. We have someone who, while I can't say for certain whether they participate in Thirsty Thursdays or Taco Tuesdays, they do have, is it, is it Trusty Tuesdays? I, I want to make sure I'm getting that right. This yeah. is a guy who is trying to put trust back into sales, restore trust, invigorate trust, but it is all things trust. Andrew Sykes, CEO and co-founder of Habits at Work, joining Karina and I in the Reveal studios. Andrew,
0: welcome. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. We've got big shoes to fill, obviously,
2: credit where credit is due to our predecessors. Andrew, when reading up on what it is that you do at Habits at Work, watching some of your TED Talks, you focus so heavily on this notion of trust. And one of the things I would like to hear first and foremost is, we want it. We pursue it, we seek to cultivate it in our relationships, but something that I think would be great to hear from you as the domain expert, how do you define trust? What is
0: it? Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's one of those things we all feel like we know it until someone says define it and then it becomes kind of difficult. So I think of trust as the gift that someone gives you to expose themselves vulnerably to your actions and promises about the future. And, you know, we're taking a risk when we trust someone that they will deceive us or not, that they're competent and capable for what they say they will do or not, and that they're reliable, that they'll use this competence to deliver on what they said they would do or not. We're really exposing ourselves to another person, being vulnerable to them when we choose to trust.
2: And in the act of exposing oneself to the possibility of deceit and deception, That can trigger fear and you are trying to bring trust to sales. And as a former seller, someone who does a lot with sales enablement, I want to actually get to the core of when did we realize, when did you realize sales has a trust problem? So let's talk about first baseline. Do we have a trust problem?
0: Yeah, I think we've always understood as salespeople and sales leaders that trust is important, but I got really clear about it when I started to look into the research on why trust matters and how it's built and lost. And I've come to the view that sales is pretty much only a trust game, in the sense that I believe that customers first decide that they want to buy from you, a salesperson, before they decide what they want to buy from your organization. And that decision is entirely based on whether or not they believe you, whether they think you, not your company, is competent, and whether they think you, not your company, has a track record of serving them well. And those are the three dimensions of trust that I think really make the difference. Can I believe you? Can you do it? And have you done it before? But then interestingly, as we started to look at the surveys, every country that I've seen that has done a survey of trust in certain professions says that salespeople and marketing or advertising executives are ranked as the least trustworthy professions. So we've got this reputation. And whether you are a seller who is someone with the most integrity and you are really trustworthy or not doesn't kind of matter because we're labeled as untrustworthy when we say we're salespeople. Maybe even worse when we try and pretend that we're not by saying we're business development executives. But the truth is it's not just because of the label. It's because as soon as someone smells that you've got a motive, they're asking Who are you and what do you want? And we assume bad intent in people quite easily. So yes, I think we've got a big trust problem. And the myth that trust takes time to build is part of that problem. So I would say we've got a bunch of trust issues from the moment we meet a prospect right until we close the deal. And of course, beyond that.
1: Well, I really like that you brought up the marketing perspective here. I'm a marketer. I have been a sales quota carrier before, so I've experienced kind of both ends of the spectrum of trust. But so much of what marketers do is we aim to build that credibility and that trust before it ever reaches a salesperson. And when I think about some terminology that we use to dispel uh, what are the perceived notions or negative intentions behind this, there's things mm-hmm. like simple messaging, like cancel at any time. When I hear that, that gives me comfort. That makes me feel like, oh, okay, this, this, this company really is buyer-centric. They're really about me. I feel much more comfortable engaging in the process. So from a seller's perspective, what are some of the words that you would say or you would pass on to sellers that you think kind of give that same credibility as something like a marketing message, like cancel at any time?
0: Yeah, I really love that question. And from Gong's perspective, listening for those words will be a really interesting project to look for. I like the word promise, because it carries a lot. And I believe that for salespeople and for customers, there's a lot of connotations with the word promise versus commitment. It's the reason we call our methodology promise selling. But I would be careful with it, because I think that customers and prospects expect sellers to make big promises that they don't deliver. So I'm always careful to say to salespeople, you do need to be making promises. The ultimate promise is prospect, I promise that my company will do what it says it's gonna do, the product will deliver the ROI or impact that we said for the price we've quoted, do you accept my promise? And that's the closing promise. But it's the little ones along the way that make the difference. Like in our conversation today, what I promise to do is ask you a bunch of questions about what you're dealing with, listen and play back what I hear so I can really ensure that I've understood your issue, and then make some commitments about what we'll do in the next meeting. So I think it's the little promises along the way that build trust, especially when you show up and we're in a trust hole from the moment we meet someone.
2: I'm thinking about the trust hole that we're in. And you had said something earlier, Andrew, that I want to double click into, which is when a potential buyer prospect is making an assessment on, have you, saleswoman, salesperson, have you done it before? Andrew, you've been doing this for over a decade. So when you go in, you're getting some really touchy areas of calling their baby ugly, when the, you talk about or insinuate, maybe you don't have a trustworthy sales team. If I was on the receiving end of that as a sales leader, that might make me bristle and chafe. So the twofer is, you can pull that off. You've done it before. So I wanted to hear a little bit about A, how do sales leaders in particular respond and how do you soften that blow? Two, we have a lot of early in career sellers. So that topic of, do I trust you? You possess the credibility from years and decades of experience If you're starting your career in sales, where do you find the confidence, the ammunition, the backstop, so to speak, to deliver that kind of integrity that someone on the receiving end is going to be assessing?
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I think the first thing I'd say is, yes, sales leaders bristle at this idea that I've got an untrustworthy sales team. What are you talking about? We're selling effectively. We do great work. And my response is, just for a moment, do your own self-assessment. How much do you trust your co-workers? Scale of one to 10. How much do you trust your family? It's usually higher. And then how do you trust other salespeople? And the penny often drops. They're like, oh, okay, I get it. I don't trust salespeople out there. My salespeople were recruited from the market. So we probably have that direct negative reputation whether we've earned it or not. But I think the real eye-opener is distinguishing between integrity and trustworthy. Integrity for me is doing what you say you're going to do, and if the world was fair, doing what you say you're going to do, keeping your promises, would make you trustworthy. Turns out, trust is an assessment that other people make of you, in part based on whether or not you meet your promises, but actually there are two things going on that we usually miss, and the first is that people assess us as trustworthy or not, usually in minutes, not months, based on the data of how we make a first impression rather than waiting for us to make a promise and deliver it. So we often don't even have the opportunity to demonstrate that we have integrity. All the research on first impressions says people will very quick slice and say, do I like this person and do I trust them? And it's based on things as simple as do I make eye contact? Do I smile? Do I introduce myself with a personal origin story that reveals I'm in this for them rather than to make a commission. And the second part of it is what I call getting clear that a responsible promise is not just promising to do what I say I'm going to do, but understanding that customers and people will judge you based on whether or not you meet their expectations. So I might promise X, my customer or prospect is expecting X plus Y. If I miss that gap, And I go back indignantly and I say, but I said I'd do X and I did X. Well, I might be right, but I will have cost myself a trust penalty in the relationship because like it or not, we judge each other based on our expectations. And that's the great opportunity for young sellers is to realize it's not just about integrity. I can go through life asking my prospects after I make a promise. What else do you trust me to do? What else do you expect me to do? And it's a really rich and interesting conversation. You know, I might ask the two of you, what else do you trust me to do that other guests have done that I might emulate, that other people have done that annoyed you that I should avoid? And you can really get some nuggets that are the secret weapons to build a relationship with a prospect that no one else is asking.
1: Well, I think a lot of that comes down to vulnerability, right? I mean, if you're willing to be that seller that, assumed that they met their buyer's needs, and they didn't. To show up with a defensive nature is automatically going to build that distrust even more so. So I think always assuming positive intent and working to show action, and what you're going to deliver is inherent to rebuilding trust or cementing trust. I'm curious for you, Andrew, you mentioned recently in a linkedin article that there are three areas of ways to assess trust and those three areas are sincerity competency and reliability uh, like if we're gonna flip the roles here right you're the buyer and i'm trying to sell you what are some ways or signals that you assess those areas of trust
2: Trust in sales is a vital component to being successful in creating authentic relationships. And Andrew has done a great job providing tips, but let's back everything you've heard thus far up with data. According to a LinkedIn report, sales professionals in the United States rank trust as their number one factor in closing deals. Trust ranks above ROI and ranks above price. More importantly, from that report, 51% of decision-makers rank trust as their top factor in sourcing the right salesperson that they're excited to work with. Just repeat that. Decision-makers want trust more than really anything else. When it comes to closing deals, trust is the most important factor. So what are some attributes that you should have when you think about building trust? There's capability, dependability, integrity, and intimacy. All of these are keys In perpetuating not just how trustworthy you are but how authentic you come off when dealing with your customers let's head back and hear more from andrew and his winning formula
0: i love that question karina thank you and i'd say about those three things my view on the trust formula is that trust is the product of those three things and that's an important distinction because it means if any one of them is judged to be zero there is no trust So I can believe you to be sincere, but incapable. And well, I just don't trust that you'll get it done. And the other thing I think is really important is I believe that people assess those questions in order. So if I don't believe you're sincere, well, then clearly I'm not going to believe anything you say about your competence or track record. So the very first question I think I and others assess of each other is, can I believe you? And if we dig into that, I think the questions we're asking is, who are you as a human being and what do you want here? You know, I often give this example. I live in Chicago, so I'm I'm walking down Michigan Avenue and we've all had this experience. You're going about your day and in the distance, you see a couple of usually younger people, but not always in the same colored t-shirt holding a clipboard. And you know, someone's going to approach you to sign something, give some money or do something else. And your heart kind of sinks because in that moment, you've gone from treating them like, just another person in the street, to someone who wants something from you. And we immediately are on guard. So to your point, I think we have to have a lot of empathy with customers that they have been often burned before by the salespeople who came before us, or they're just subject to society's view that salespeople are not to be trusted. And so they protect themselves by revealing less. Of course, no one wants to be vulnerable to a salesperson. so having that empathy, as you described it, not being reactive when you meet a promise, but somehow that doesn't deliver is really key to building trust. And that's why, back to Danny, your initial point for a young salesperson, I think the expert move to focus on is how you design your first three minutes of meeting someone. Because in those first three minutes, especially if you're a younger person, I think someone can very quickly write you off as like, who are you? You're a young kid. You don't know what you're doing. Therefore, I don't believe you. And that's the opportunity not to be missed because if you miss it, trust will take months rather than minutes if you ever even get the chance to build it.
1: What would you recommend to those young sellers? Because I think, unfortunately, many young sellers, they are given a template by their senior sales leaders of this is tried and true, this works, go ahead, put them in that sequence. I don't think that builds trust and credibility and I would imagine Andrew and Danny would also agree with that. So what would you advise to these young sellers who, I mean, this is a whole brand new world for them. What are some just key takeaways where that they can uh, use in their messaging or their outreach or what should they be doing to build authentic trust with senior leadership?
0: Great question. So. I think the first thing is, is that I would have empathy for people who are being asked to dial for dollars with a script that may be the antithesis of a trust-building script. So what can you do when you're required to do that and maybe you have a very little margin for adding something in that distinguishes you and builds trust? And I would say as a young salesperson, I wish I had known this because in our lives as sellers or as humans in any other real profession, our best estimate is you will meet about 10,000 people in your career. And if you really dig into the research of the power of first impressions, it's amazing how few people take the time just to design what my first three minutes looks like. And so if I was advising someone, I would say in the first three seconds, the only weapon you've got to build trust is a smile on your face and eye contact. Because before you even open your mouth to say your first word people are going to judge you to a degree as trustworthy or not based on whether or not you show up as someone who looks like they're happy to be there and excited for the opportunity and i know that if you're dialing well you don't have that opportunity for either of those things but it's very clear that a smiling engaged attitude translates over the phone i often say do your dialing in front of a mirror and make sure you're smiling at yourself As weird as it might sound, you can hear when someone has joy in their voice. And then the other thing I would recommend doing is is starting with some levity, like you did earlier, saying happy Friday or something that just brings joy to the call. And if you get the opportunity, introducing yourself in exactly the opposite way than many salespeople are trained to do. We're trained to say, my name is Andrew. I'm a salesperson from Habits at Work. So happy to be here today, or I'm calling you because and we straight into business. And all that's done is said, I am one of those people that you don't trust, call salespeople. I've just given you your first piece of evidence that I'm not to be trusted by interrupting you in your day or at dinner in the worst case. And so I've gone from having a bad reputation to giving you evidence that I deserve it. What I'd recommend instead is if you get the opportunity, is share. Maybe one sentence that explains why you do what you do today, and it's not for the money. It's what I call the poignant pivot. It's, and then one sentence about the opportunity or even the privilege of what you get to do today. So if we put it together, I might say, my name is Andrew Sykes, and I have three decades of experience in sales. But what I realized about a decade ago is, this is just a trust game. And so I dedicated my life to building a business that helps salespeople to become the most trustworthy people on the planet. And could I have a better job? I hope I get the opportunity to talk to you about that today. And then the conversation might flow.
1: That was beautiful. It did appear as vulnerable and real and genuine and authentic. And that could have led to the conversation.
0: In your first couple of minutes, all you're doing is trying to buy yourself the next two or three minutes. So trying to go in for the close in the first couple of minutes, I I am very turned off by that.
2: We've got early in career young sellers who I think you have armed. You've given them what you call it, weapons. And in sales enablement, we talk about weaponizing psychology because it's just hard out there. and People are getting punched and pushed down. And I think you want to go into these exchanges feeling more empowered. So I love that you're giving them these nuggets, Andrew. You had said something about sincerity and uh i'll talk about danny meyer for a hot second if you're familiar with danny meyer he's a new york restaurateur so he's not the windy city but he talks about in his best-selling book setting the Tables. he says we all come into the world and are given four gifts when we're brought into the world our parents give us eye contact they give us a smile they give us love so typically in the form of a hug And they give us a meal and i'm a huge foodie so of course uh, the the supreme and ultimate power of food where i'm going with this andrew the idea of coming off sincere making eye contact and smiling great i can control that as the individual i now want to pivot and talk about sales leaders who are thinking okay cool i just heard andrew sykes dr trust here's what we got to do analytically speaking we got to be sincere first boom ergo because we're sincere then we got to be capable ergo like can you talk about how a sales leader who might be listening can scale out your winning formula on building trust.
0: Yeah, I love that. I would say there are two things to do. And the first is upstream of even this formulaic approach to building trust, because if you're running a formula on a customer, they're gonna smell that. So you're right, it's inauthentic to try and weaponize psychology as opposed to really being committed to serving your customers. Mm-hmm. So I have a view that it begins with mindset. And Hmm. young sellers in particular who feel like my job is to close a deal, get money in the door and convince someone to do something, I would recommend that they notice about themselves two things. One, we're in what I consider to be the most noble profession. Here's why. I define selling. We say selling is helping another human being make progress in their lives. And if that's what it is, how could you not be proud and excited to be part of that profession it's not convincing people to do what they weren't going to do otherwise or getting a deal over the line it's helping someone make progress and if you come to every call with that attitude you get over what is often the scariest thing as a young seller which is i'm talking to a c-suite person who's got 20 years on me and i don't really know what i'm doing yet well consider that you are the person that stands between where they are and the progress that they're trying to make in their lives. And you are the conduit for that. What a beautiful opportunity, what a responsibility, and what an important role. So that's where I would start, is really getting my sales team clear about what it is that we're doing here and the beautiful opportunity you have as a human being to serve. And the second thing I would say is charisma, trust, sales abilities, are all things I think are eminently teachable. We've all met people who we think are natural sales And every time I dig in behind that, there's a story of how they got to be as good as they are. And it's a story of skill development over time. However, selling in my view is an embodied skill, not an intellectual skill. And the only way you develop embodied skills is by practicing with a coach, who has a model of excellence, knows what good looks like, and who can give you the right kind of feedback. So if there was one thing I would say to sales leaders, you should do before everything else, it's build inside your culture, the practice of practice and feedback. Because you can level up anyone in months, whether they've been selling for 30 years or not. In fact, the longer you've been selling, I think the more likely it is that bad habits creep in that make you worse over time. And my evidence of that is we've all met people who've been doing their jobs for 30 years who are just not that good and superstars who are two years in. And the difference is quantity and quality of the practice they're, they're doing.
1: Well, I certainly think that you have created trust between Danny and I today and we will probably be in our cabinet of advisors that we kind of seek out to for this topic. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. We really appreciate your insight. But before we let you go, we have one final question that we ask all of our guests. And that question is, if you were to describe sales in one word, what word would that be?
0: That's an easy one for me. My word is service. And if I may say, the way that you and your team prepared for this podcast, have run this, and have interacted with me is a clinic in trust building. So it's been my absolute pleasure being on your show. Thank you for the opportunity. And I hope together we've been helpful to young sellers and what I think is our joint opportunity ennobling the sales profession so that one day people say about their kids, I hope they grow up to be salespeople.
2: You had asked sort of Corinne and I, what was the higher calling of doing this podcast and continue to be sincere and vulnerable. You know, we stand on the shoulders of giants and what Devin and Sheena created and with Jordan, our executive producer, who's behind the scenes making all this happen. We're so grateful. And Corrine and I came in, we said, we want to make sure that what we continue to push over the airwaves is not self-evident. And I'm just tingling with the warm and fuzzies and sort of almost have some chills because to me, this is such a textbook example of things that at face value we overlook or we take for granted. But I, I can't thank you enough. What you have delivered is the epitome of what it is that we want to do on this podcast. As you are illuminating, democratizing things that I hope do change the trajectory of how people in their sales careers or in their lives approach other exchanges with individuals. Oh, that makes my day. Thank you both.
1: Thanks, Andrew.
2: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams head on over to gong.io and if you like what you heard well give us that five-star review on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you may listen